Welcome to the 15th episode of Character Evolution Cast, everyone. We've got a really great discussion about collaborative world building with Ali Grauer and Drew Merzieski from the Word Up podcast. But first, some announcements. First up, we'll have a new entry to the Secret Archive coming very soon. Uh, I got together with Aaron Catanoseas and Agatha Chain to talk about world building through character creation at Gen Con this year, and we happened to record it. So keep an ear out for that sometime very soon. Next up, we got 55 star reviews before the end of our review drive last Monday, which means we will be commissioning a Ghost Shanks to Go shirt very soon. Also, we'll be figuring out a fun catchphrase shirt to add to the store as well, so stay tuned for that. Also, if you have suggestions, we'd love to hear them. We would love to hear suggestions of catchphrases that we have said and apply to us and can be easily recognizable. And also, don't sound dirty when set on their own. (laughs) (laughs) If they're maybe like a little bit naughty. Just a little bit naughty. Just a little bit naughty. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, then. Uh... In addition to that, we are about to figure out who won our review drive contest. We have 50 to choose from, so we just assigned 1 to 50 in chronological order, and then 51 to 100 in the reverse order. So, live on tape, we will roll the results right now. This is my drum roll. It's going to sound really bad on my phone. <laughs> 18 is the number. Consult the spreadsheet. Judges say... Vibrarian from the United States of America. Justin! (laughs) Very cool. I'm so excited. That's awesome. Not that I wouldn't have been excited for all of you, but Justin! (laughs) (laughs) I'm also happy it's somebody that we know how to get hold of. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations, Justin. Uh, We will be in touch to figure out how to get your prize selection to you as soon as we are able to. And if you would like to leave us a review, not you, Justin, you already did it, thank you, you can do so by going to our show notes and following the links to the various platforms that we are able to see reviews on. If you leave us a review, we will read it right here during the cold open, like we are about to do right now with this review by... Nutella Nutterson from the United States on iTunes. Excellent gateway to RPGs for the whole family. Learning new RPGs can feel intimidating, and CCC is a great, gentle introduction to new systems and games. The whole show is so chill, it's absolutely soothing to listen to, even when it's fish horror. (laughs) It's also consistently kind and supportive, and that is something I really appreciate sharing with my family. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, uh, fish horror. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder what game they're talking about there. Yeah, no clue what that could be. Uh, it's, yeah, it's probably masks. <laughs> probably. Probably. <laughs> well, thank you for that review and mm-hmm. everybody else. I'm really excited for all of the reviews that you will write. Sure, right? Definitely. <laughs> well, we'll leave for us. Fe- future us is very excited. Future us is very excited for all the reviews we're gonna get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, with all of that out of the way, here's the episode. Enjoy.
Welcome to Character Evolution Cast, a show where we discuss what to do with all those characters we just made. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia, and today my co-host Ryan and I are joined by Allie Grauer and Drew Merzieski of the Warda podcast to discuss collaborative world building. Allie and Drew, welcome to Character Evolution Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for inviting us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Allie, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and some of the cool stuff that you're working on? Sure thing. Yeah, I'm Allie Grauer. Uh, I am an actor, an author, and an enthusiast of many things. Um, the big thing, which both of us will definitely hit on, it's lucky, you guys. You get two for the price of one here, really. Um, <laughs> Drew and I are the co-creators of the Warda podcast. Uh, Warda being an original fantasy, actual play podcast, storytelling. It's kind of a lot of things at once, and we'll get into it's that. It's a smorgasbord, like a, a cornucopia and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, I am also, as I said, an actor and an author. Uh, I perform uh, in all of my jobs now, really. Yeah, that's true. Um, which is really cool. Um, I uh, work as an actor and performer at Universal Studios Orlando, uh, as well as a simulated patient for Advent Health here in Orlando, um, as well as a queen at Medieval Times here in Orlando. Nice. Um, I kind of do a lot of different things on that front. Um, I also teach dialect lessons as kind of a side gig, and I write. I have written a novel and several short stories, and I, I do that that word word on paper thing. Ooh, <laughs> do do the devil, yeah. do the devil words. That, yeah. that word thing. <laughs> and Drew, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and some of your projects? Well, absolutely. Uh, I'm Drew Merzieski. Uh I am married to Allie, and that is my biggest accomplishment. Nice job. Um, <laughs> everything that I've ever done that's <laughs> worthwhile has uh, been since 2015. Everything before that was nothing. Um, I don't know. You spent that I'm time married. becoming the person that she wanted to marry. I feel like that's worthwhile. Correct. That's that, yes. kind of. You, you kind of... You kind of forced me to become the person I was supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's big, long, fun story there. But uh, yeah, uh, things that I do is I'm the co-creator of the Warda podcast, um, as Ali said. I also am an actor. Uh, I act here at the theme parks at Universal Studios, and that's it for right now. But you're uh, on the cusp of greatness. I am on the. But aren't we all? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, isn't everybody on the on the cusp of the great things that are that are uh, about to become yes. real and manifest in our but life? You but you recently took corner. that jump to be like, yes. I'm going to do I, it. I did. I'm going to do I it. I did it. It was it was more like a, uh, I can't be on this bridge anymore. This bridge <laughs> is is not going anywhere. It's just a bridge to nowhere. But down is a lot more exciting than lateral. So uh, I just jumped. I just jumped. Um, what I'm what I'm saying in a metaphorical way is I quit my job, quit my day job, and uh, now I strive to be a creative full time, and it's been great so far. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens in six months, but uh, yeah, for today it's going great. But I feel like we'll see what <laughs> happens in six months is like the same whether you have a job or not. Like that's true. true. Technically, that is absolutely true. I could also not have a job in six months, so. We, we could, you know, there's One never anything can happen in six right? months. Six months is just enough time for something drastic to happen, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hopefully good. Welcome so. to Character Career Cast. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, stop inventing side podcasts. We don't have time. That's, that's how you know you're a real podcast. 
because you continually think of other podcasts you want to do. I was really proud of myself because I had a really good idea a couple weeks ago and then I forgot it. So now I can't do it. Oh, oh good for thank you. you. Good for you. <laughs> Wonderful. Gosh, that's the dream. Right that, that's the, to have a great idea and then forget it and then it's just gone. Yep, forever. And like, oh, that's I know. That's, pe- so that's nice. choice. I was like right really there. happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> One of our goals on Character Creation Cast, aside from making amazing people, is to introduce our audience to people who are doing some awesome things in the RPG world. We would be remiss if we didn't do that here as well. So we are going to start by getting to know you a little bit better. We want to start by having you guys explain a little bit about what Warda is and what you feel makes it special. Oh, goodness. Oh. I know. Oh, just my. the small questions, it's, just like the really basic stuff. Oh. It's it's the little ones. It's okay. the little questions that trip you up. <laughs> Do you want to go with that or shall um, shall I? Yeah, yeah. That's not an answer to my question. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll start. Um Warda is a uh it's it's great that this topic is collaborative world building, because that's literally what Warda is and was. Um Warda started as a collaborative world building exercise that drew forced me into uh not at knife point but basically at knife point um uh we were standing in line for uh the haunted mansion at walt disney world uh, the magic kingdom and the line was inordinately long um and drew was like let's pass the time by making a world and i was like that's not fun for me <laughs> why do you want to do that <laughs> um and he coerced me into it and uh then what, what ended up happening is smash cut to us on the ride while Grim Grin and Ghost is playing and we're going backwards down the hill into the graveyard scene and I'm like, okay, but what about the transportation system? Because we need to figure out what the transportation system is if we're going to figure out what the educational system is. And like, he sucked me in hard down that rabbit hole. Um, and a month or so later, we had sort of got the skeleton put together um, the original concept was uh, to pass the time, first of all. Mm-hmm. And second of all, we wanted to build something from scratch uh, in a fantastical way that I could potentially write stories in. Um, it was kind of the idea that Drew was like, well, you're a writer. You should know how to world build. Let's let's exercise those muscles and figure it out together. And then you can play in that sandbox as much as you want. Um, instead, what happened is... A month or so later, we were like, well, we built this world, but nobody lives in it yet. So we should probably like put some people in it. And the first thing that came to mind was let's have some people over, play a role playing game and see what happens. Um, and that's how that started. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So uh, the long and short is that what Warda is, is this thing that we built, but uh, the concept of it is uh, it's Game of Thrones meets Downton Abbey uh, with a splash of Agatha Christie and then some socio-political commentary kind of thrown in mm-hmm. with fairies. Um, and that's <laughs> that's really what the world is and what we kind of – that was like the base thing that we built out of it um, to begin with. And that's really to me what makes it special is that we kind of built it out of whole cloth out of nowhere – and decided to run with it. And we, I think what, what makes it the most special is like we have 
it has been so many different things for us, but the world has stayed the same. True. We've done fiction in it. We've done actual plays in it. We've done audio drama in it. We've done um, several different games in it. Yeah. And the thing that's really special about it to me is that the world continues to be the same. It doesn't matter what the system is or what we're doing with it. We are constantly creating it and it just lives. And I think that's what makes it special. Why did you decide then to continue with a completely new world instead of, you know, taking a base world for a particular game and, um, and running with that? That's a good question. I mean, I think the initial impulse was, uh, let's try a role playing game in it, see how it, see how it runs. You know, if you put, like, you can build a car, but it's not going to drive itself. You got to put, uh, at least not yet. The future is now. Um, <laughs> you got to put people in the car, right? And, and see if it's comfortable, see what it sounds like, see how it handles. Um, and so the idea was that's how we were going to do it for fun. And then what, like a year later, TV's James D'Amato came to us and was like, hey, you guys want to do a weekly stream on our Twitch channel? And we were like, sure, what do you want us to do? And he was like, oh, whatever you want. That Warded thing sounds cool. And we were like, <laughs> all right, cool. So at that point, we were like, well, we've built this world. It would be really cool to put it in front of a real audience. Because at that point, we, we hadn't, we'd been recording the sessions for posterity, but not for like public consumption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, little did we know. Uh, but so it was like, now the car is being test driven. But then someone was like, here, put this car on TV. And we were like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do that. Uh, and it, it didn't, we thought about when he asked us to do the stream, we thought about doing something else, didn't we? We did for like three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, we should do something. No, no, let's just do. Everybody Warda. likes D and D, though. We should do well. Mm. Warda, nah, we yeah. should do Warda. Well, I think the thing that's really interesting when you when you sit down and you decide, okay, um, am I going to do my own setting or am I going to adjust something that works or you know what what am I going to do? Um, we decided to do it this way because. When you sit down and you have those two paths, they really are different ways of interfacing with a world. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to interface with a world that's already pre-existing, that's a lot of groundwork you got to do in, 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 in the front of that. You, as the game master, or you as the player, have an entire world to learn. And if you've been reading that world for years, let's say it's Lord of the Rings, then, you know, that's, that's fine. You know the world backwards and forwards. You can just jump into that. Mm -hmm. But if it's, you know, the Forgotten Realms from Wizards of the Coast and you've never, you've never heard of who Elminster is or where Waterdeep is, then you're going to spend a lot of time on a wiki and that's fine. Um, that's even, that's, that's great. That's great for games that are just starting out that people who don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, it's great for them for you to sit down and be like, okay, cool. Here's Waterdeep and like give them the wiki page and just have them read that real quick and be like, okay. And then you build it. You're always going to build world build on your own anyway. Mm -hmm. Even if we're going to spend time in Waterdeep, like the shops will not be the shops that are in the book. Um, the characters that you meet in that book will not always be the same as are, as they are, are written. So you're always world building, but you have a framework in what you're doing if you go with something that's already there and you're adjusting an existing one. Um, if you're building something completely new, that is my favorite way of beginning a game anyway. Because in doing that, 
um, it's not just me building the world. It's everybody building the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as everybody builds that world, it becomes so much more personal to them. Um, because we're like, oh, you know, about that, uh, that weird festival you decided that we talked about like three sessions ago, we're going to go to that festival and you came up with it. So what, what's happening there? Yeah. And that's what makes it very personal for your, your players and very personal for you as a GM, if you're doing that or on both sides of that, of that screen is that it is something that is collaborative and being built real time and built between you guys. And you have such a deeper connection to it than if I said, all right, and now we go to Baldur's Gate and everyone looks at you blankly and goes, what's that? Is it a, is it a city? Is it a keep? What is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's why we decided to do that with, with Warda is I really wanted Ali to stretch those legs of building something completely new. And having an opportunity for the two of us to build something that had never been built before, at least to our knowledge. Yeah, at least to our knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's it. This is so. This isn't on the outline, but I want to ask anyway because please, it's please. my show, uh, and also Ryan's, but <laughs> but mostly mine. Um, <laughs> was it kind of scary then having other people sit down and play this with you? Um, to have other people's kind of like sticky fingers on your thing. Um, like obviously part of collaborative world building is that people bring in new ideas that you didn't necessarily have. But there's also, I think, at least for me, a level of nervousness about like this thing that like it, it's my baby and I made it. And, you know, like I have this vision of what it is. And sometimes other people coming in and like I said, getting their sticky fingers on it um, is a little worrisome. Yeah, 100 um- percent. It having been my first attempt to build anything from scratch that far back, um, like all the way down to the soil, mm-hmm. um, I was nervous about it. But I knew that we needed we needed warm bodies to figure out what was going to make it really tick. Um, and if something was missing, they were going to show us what was missing, you know, and how to figure out how to fix that, mm-hmm. uh, fill in those gaps. Um I, I mean, I remember our game zero for that first session that we were playing for posterity in our basement. It was like, it was wild. I mean, we had we had index cards and scrap paper and markers and a whiteboard. And we were like, okay, so this is how it works. And they were like, right, but what about this? And we'd be like, okay, great question. Here, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. And like, it was a big, they were like, this is so huge, you guys. And we were like, yeah, we kind of went overboard. What do you think? <laughs> and they were like, we got lucky because we pulled people we knew uh, were good, great consumers of this level of like fiction. Um, yeah. and media. So we knew that they were going to be able to wrap their brains around it at some point. Um, but it was that first night was scary for us because we were like opening up this whole vault of stuff we'd been storing up and wanting to explain it in the best way possible so that they got it and being nervous that maybe they wouldn't get it or that maybe something would be weird and they would be like, yeah, but that looks like this thing that already exists and that thing is stupid or whatever, you know. Um, or maybe they'd be like, what have you guys been doing at home alone? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> this is really interesting, you guys, yeah. should get out um, more. <laughs> but, but we got lucky that uh, the people we pulled in to play with us were very game to sort of absorb it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean very game to break it too i mean to uh, to put it bluntly like that first group that we that we played with um not this is you know a year before the stream 
um, is that they they were all completely unafraid to take the rules we were giving them, agree to those rules, and then literally show us how they were going to break the rest of the rules. And I think that's the important part is that there's this social contract that you make between you as the creators and your players that you have to sit down and understand that, yes, this world is open and yes, I built it and yes, it's my baby, but it gets to grow and it gets to change. Yeah. Um, it cannot stay the same as nothing can when it hits, you know, when it hits an audience. And so you have to make this contract between you and them. And they also have to sell into the fact that there are rules to this world. Like I can't just say, and a chicken walks in and it's five feet tall and it speaks Norwegian. Except we do have dire chickens, don't we? We no, we don't. Oh, we have dire everything else. Yeah, every, um, Goats. <laughs> yes. But, but that's the but that's the <laughs> idea is that like if you if they did that and be like, well, that's against the rules in the setup that we make. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so if they understand that contract and you understand your end of the contract, it's much easier to come to a collaborative space. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's consent. It's sitting down and being like, do you consent to be in this world and follow these rules? Yes. Do you consent to let those rules change if it's in a narrative way? Absolutely. Exactly. The thing I also – I always tell myself whenever I get to a point where I'm like, ah, oh, I'm – I feel that the prick of, oh, they're, they're messing with that. Oh, I don't know if I want them to mess with that <laughs> is um, I have to remember that this is not the last world I'll ever make. Um, just as the character you're going to make for this world is not the last character you're ever going to make. Mm-hmm. This world is not the only world you will ever make. You will make another one. And if something didn't work in this world, guess what? You can take that and make it in your next one. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. always something new and there's always something on the horizon to build or make or do. And so you can't sit there and be precious with it. And we weren't with this. Uh, matter of fact, the, the world was completely broken by completely our players. Shattered. Um, <laughs> and that was okay. It was, it was, it was great. It was terrifying in the moment. But at the same time, I was like, this is great because this changes everything and it takes it in a different direction. And that's what's great about narrative st- storytelling between a group is that you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what's fun. I would also like to add that when we did start doing the live stream with a new cast of people and a new point in the timeline of of Warda as a whole, that um, Drew as a as a GM has a really strong instinct for involving his players in whatever he's running um, in decision making and like setting the scene and. Uh, creating, like he was saying, like creating, uh, um, you know, a festival that's happening or a shop that's down the street or whatever. Like he, he does that consistently in all of the games he runs, regardless of the situation. And that carried over very strongly into the live stream that, uh, by having the Twitch chat present, um, not only was he able to incorporate new ideas from the new cast members, the new players, but he was able to be like, okay, chat, tell us what color the dress is that Lady Gaynor is wearing tonight. Um, or, you know, chat, tell us what the, what the headlines are and the latest script. Like what, what's the, what's the word on the street about the latest crime, you know? And that first, that first stream we did, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, because they're going to say something weird. They're going to say something (laughs) off the wall. They're going to say something that doesn't fit. And I realized that that didn't matter because the best things came out of people responding in the moment, coming up with something on the fly. The chat is responsible for so many things that are now like 
Canon. There's just canon. canon in, just in pure Warda. canon and like foundational to what Warda has become in our heads. And that's amazing. There's something really incredible about that. That's awesome. It's like uh, crowdfunded uh, world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. So between the the first group and, and the second group, the streaming group, it the, the world was basically a continuation from the first one? Um, sort of. So when we played the first uh, campaign, uh, it's called Winds of Change. Um, it was that experimental how does this world fit? How do these characters work? These are all people with very strong um, super objectives and motivations that they want something big out of their lives and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Um, and then when we decided to do the stream, we were like, all right, let's let's not put this story on the stream because we were already a year into the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, let's start from scratch and let's set it you know, a couple of years back in the timeline to give us a little bit of wiggle room um, to play with that canon, that timeline. Um, and so the second one, the streaming set was called Curiosities. And uh, that's what a lot of people were brought into the world with because that uh, was the earliest thing on the timeline. We, I think it's like four years or ten, ten years. Okay, it's ten years apart. Um, and so we, we gave ourselves that, that margin for error and that margin to figure out um, new people in a new setting in the city and uh, give them the freedom to do whatever they wanted, right? But um, but also to allow for the fact that in 10 years, these other people will be our focus doing all of this other stuff. It also gave us this opportunity to bring in people from that first game, from Winds of Change, into Curiosities mm. and introduce them. Prequel style. Uh, prequel style mm-hmm. and be like and but it was it was prequel to us, but not to our audience. Our audience yeah, was like that was the cool oh, part. Here's this cool person. We're like, oh, you just wait. Um <laughs> I already know so many very, things. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of the fun things about it. And it was tricky setting that up, um, because there there were only not there were only certain things, but you had to be careful about where we were putting our focus. Um, because I knew what happens. And so the group had to be like, okay, we're going to look at this and we'll look at this and look at this. And the tori- and the stories tended to be smaller. They tended to be not overarching world changing events like you would see in, in a, like a high fantasy. They tended to be smaller, self contained, um, mystery stories, noir stories. Mm. Uh, and that's the thing about world building and making your own world and being like, guess what? Any genre fits in here. We can yeah. do anything here. Mm-hmm. We can have an overarching, you know, world ending calamity happen, or we can have personal romance stories that happen between two people and that's it. And, and that's really, I mean, that, that's one of the things I find most special about Warden, but most special about building a world from scratch is if you're going to make it that way, you start, that's in your foundation, is that you lay that foundation that way. Yeah. So far, what is your favorite thing that has come out of this process? Even if it's just like one specific detail about the world or something you've learned about world building? I learned a lot out of this process. Um, I learned a, <laughs> I, I gained, uh, a deeper appreciation for the Star Wars prequels, um, <laughs> having to do prequels, um, and understanding like this is where everything ends up. Sure, but we need to make sure that everything fits to make sure that it, that happens. Um, yeah. And like I, I gained, I gained a lot of, a lot of formative uh, kind of feelings for 
collaborative story building with a group, with a chat, with your characters, with that, um, and allowing that. And a lot of that that I've kind of come to as my core philosophy with collaborative world building came from doing this. And so it's really helped me kind of define my process. Um, you know, they talk about how uh, mastery of a skill is not about how good you do it. It's how consistently you do it. Um, and so anybody can go out on stage and have a great performance, but only masters can go out on stage and have a great performance a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like really doing this was me learning what my process is so I can be consistent in my world building and how this works and how we collaboratively build stuff. That's my favorite part of it. I mean, there's also a ton of fun things that came out of Warda that I like. Like, like what? Like Sandir. Oh, um, Sandir Sandir Tundali. Um, or, <laughs> or, uh, oh, goodness. Pixies in general? Pixies and magic bureaucracy. I loved all that. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff in Warda that, that I enjoy doing, but for the whole process, that was my favorite. I would say that on a content level, uh, I'm very fond of um, the Weather Guild. And uh, in Warda, uh, we built it so that weather is scheduled and weather is art. So the Weather Guild consists of masters and apprentices and, you know, all sorts of people who specialize in weather magic. But, you know, the way that society views it is it's like you can open the script, the newspaper, and, and look up who's who's up for the week or whatever. Um, and you can be like, oh, you know, um, Weathermaster Van Claude is up this week. I love his seven-pointed snow. It's just absolutely gorgeous, you know, or his perfect days are my favorite perfect days, you know. The way that they they craft the, the weather through magic is seen the way high society in the, the early 1900s would have viewed, like, impressionist art, which is, like, very, very... Uh, it's a crosshair of some of my favorite things. Um, and so I really, really like that how that came about but as far as the process um i it's weird well i don't know that it's weird i mean it might be weird to some people but uh, (laughs) the fact the bottom line here folks is that drew and i are married and so (laughs) it, it wasn't just that we were building a world from scratch to experiment with it's that um as a married couple we were also learning how to creatively communicate with each other in a way that was not only effective, but respectful and Mm. like coherent. Um, I know a lot of people who are in very happy marriages, but can't create things together because they cannot, they, they don't see eye to eye on whatever level they don't communicate uh, what they, what each of them needs, or maybe even their creative interests just lie in such different genres that they can't, uh, collaborate on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a couple of, of of married couples who are very good at collaborating together. Um, the author, the steampunk authors, uh, T. Morris and Philippa Valentine, are come to mind. They're married and they uh, they have written like seven novels together, and they're great. Um, but going into this, not only was Drew helping to stretch my world building muscles as a writer, but I had never built anything at all like this with a partner, um, let alone a partner that I was romantically involved with. Um, and so one of my favorite things about Warda is that 
Um, even though there, there were absolutely times where I wanted to jump out a window because I didn't understand, uh, something that we were working on, or I didn't see a way out, or I didn't see a, a solution or whatever that the, the process of building everything has taught Drew and I how to communicate as collaborators. Um, and it's, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty life changing. Like, not only is it, like the foundation for this podcast that we've created and this this media, this multimedia experience we've created and we continue to create, but it's setting sort of a precedent for for other creative endeavors that both of us may encounter in the future. Well, and collaborating with anybody on stuff is never easy. Like I've worked on projects with people that are like my best friends and you have these moments of like, what are you talking about? Shut up. <laughs> like, why? That's not important. Why are you stuck on that thing? And like learning to work through that is is really difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even just down to like, as you're trying to work through something in your head, the way you communicate that may not make a dang lick of sense to anybody mm -hmm. else in the room. So there are times where I'll be like, yeah, like this. And Drew will be like, what? No, that's not what it's like. It's like this. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. You know, and then we have to <laughs> rewind a little bit and, and, and unravel it. But that's absolutely true that like it, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Collaboration can be very difficult. Um, but if you have the patience and the, the, the give and take and the, the wherewithal to be able to pick apart each other's thought patterns that over time it gets easier and easier. Yeah, absolutely. So what is something about your world that you haven't determined yet, but you really want to get to sometime? No, I, I, I have an answer for this. Okay. So um, our world has over 4,000 years of history. Um, and I wanted to go big with that to leave lots of room for lots of stuff. Uh, it also was nece necessary because... Um, our world is populated by fae that live a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, in our world that we built, I was I was sick of humanity being like the end all be all. Like uh, like we we base we are human, therefore our lens is usually human. Mm -hmm. um, and I was tired of seeing everyone like oh it's the humans that are oppressing everyone else. And I was like well let's turn it around and we'll make it humans are at the bottom at the bottom of the barrel. And there's something way higher than them. Mm -hmm. And the best way that I could see to do that was to keep humans at the same uh, age that they are now and have everything age much slower. Uh, and so you have Fae that live eight, nine hundred years, like a very, long very long, time. long time to the point that if a human comes up to you and goes, hey, this is wrong. I would like to change this. They look at it and go, we'll just wait 50 years and then that will go away. Um, and, and so by nature of that, we had to have a very long time or we were going to have characters like, oh yes, my, 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 uh, my grandfather was here at the very beginning of this city. Um, and so I was like 4,000 years, it's a big, long time. Let's put that in there. So we had this big, long section of time and we start our story in the 4,800s. So we're, we're almost a 5,000 years of history that have gone by. Wow. And there is a section of this 5,000 years called the governor era. Uh, it is, it is what I would consider the medieval renaissance of our setting. 
And um, that entire section of time has the um, godlike fae, the, the highest rung of fae, which are called the Seelies, which live forever. They don't die. Yeah. Um, and they are all powerful. Unfortunately. Um, and yeah. they are uh, godlike in their, in their abilities. Uh, it has them having a much more personal touch with the people and the world itself. Um, in the setting that we are now in the 4800s, in the guild era, what we, as we call it, um, they are completely absent. They are, they're there and they are in places like you could, if you were living in Warda, um, in the city of Amangrad and you were having a wedding, you could absolutely send a, um, an invitation to the Dare and the Mab and all the other Sealy and they may come. You don't know. Uh, they do exist, but, um, they have removed themselves from, from society, uh, from everyday society. Hmm. In this governor era, though, they run the society. And one day we're gonna we're gonna delve into what that looks like when um, a godlike being is basically a king, oh, a god king over a section of of the world. Hmm. And what what happens then? Um, what do all those other god kings and queens and, and rulers decide? Like, what does that happen? I'm very yeah. interested in that. And one day we'll, we'll delve into that. But that is <laughs> one day. One day we'll do that. For sure. Uh, I agree with that. I think the governor era would be super fun to do. Um, I, I mean, I also have a keen interest in going all the way back to z- zero or one. Um, because the world, the this is not this is not secret knowledge. Uh, the world uh, of Warda existed prior to the Fey arriving. The Fey are not of Warda naturally, mm. um, and so when Drew talks about there being almost five thousand years of history, we're talking about the modern age with Fey. That mm-hmm. prior to that, which is of course beyond human reckoning. Mm-hmm. Um, Prior to that, it was a world populated by human beings and possibly other things. But the Fae all arrived together uh, around year zero or year one um, and changed everything. And so I've been dabbling with um, a particular piece of fiction that isn't done, um, but I've been dabbling with that on and off since we started Warda. So like three years. Shh. Uh, about about that about that thing that thing that happened when the fae arrived and everything changed um because i think that i find that super interesting um and i think one of the reasons drew why i haven't finished it is because there's so much secret knowledge about what was going on in the world at that point and like what who who encountered them first and why and all of that and so there's a lot of stuff that we've laced into the world that we would love to see somebody pull on that bell rope or love to see somebody tug on that sweater string and unravel it and see what happens. But it has, we haven't gotten there yet, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Because it means that there's more, there's more exciting stories to tell, you know? There's more built into the woodwork uh, for later. Yeah, absolutely. You're just scratching the surface at this point. Yep. Now that we know a little bit more about you and about Warda, we're going to get into the super fun part of our podcast. Our goal with these episodes is to help people become the best possible players at the table. 
we always feel like there's tons of GM advice out there and there's not nearly enough for players. So this episode's a little bit different. Normally, we give people advice for after their characters are made. Today, we're going to talk about something that will help create a truly unique and personal experience, regardless of where you are at in that character creation process. Yeah, today we are going to talk about collaborative world building, a topic that I've been wanting to cover for a very long time now, and how playing in a personalized world that you create as a group can elevate the experience. So our first question here that we want to talk about, creating your own homebrew setting for a game isn't necessarily uncommon for people. Um, a lot of times, though, it's done solely by a GM who then shows up to the game and informs their players, here's the world that you're going to play in. Like, I've created this thing for you. How does collaborative world building differ from that? Well, I think the first thing, uh, the biggest thing in how it differs from a GM bringing you an already made setting and you just kind of building a setting together um, is that contract we talked about in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, if you sit down with your, with your GM as a player, um, and if you as the GM and the player have this contract where you decide these are the parameters we're going to work in, um, everything goes much smoother. Believe it or not, um, we cannot read each other's minds. <laughs> and I, that is that is a hard honestly it's a hard lesson to learn yeah mm -hmm. um that somebody who's looking at you cannot tell what you want um in that moment that there's there is no nonverbal cue you're going to give somebody that makes them immediately know what's going to happen and what you they want from you mm -hmm. um and so talking to people and letting your needs and wants known in the very beginning as you begin to build is very important. Um, and it can be hard. It can be very hard to sit down with somebody that you care a lot about or people that you don't know and to say, okay, uh, we're going to make this social contract between everyone and then we're going to start building. Um, so I think that is the very first thing you do. That's the first brick you lay. As you begin to build a world, you sit down with your players. I actually recently just did this. I'm running a game, uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, for a group of my friends uh, from Universal. And uh, they were like, I asked them what they wanted to do. That was the first thing. I was like, do you mm -hmm. want a pre-made module? Do you want a um, a mixed up thing? Like, what do, you, what do you guys want? And I said, one of the options was, do you want me to make a world? And they were like, yes, we trust you. We want you to do that. And I immediately went, okay, that's not going to work with this group. <laughs> I can't just show up and have like, here's my 300-page thesis on this world. <laughs> and slide that across the table and be like, you will now have 30 minutes to review and then we will begin. Um, I, I didn't want to do that. And creating a world to me is about sitting down and going, okay, this thing, does that work? And people chime in. Mm -hmm. And then when you finalize that, you go, cool, that raises these five questions. Let's answer those five questions. And you go person by person figuring out how this works. And when somebody in the game goes, oh, my character is such and such. Like if we were like, oh, yes, my character is absolutely a soldier from that undead army and I'm now alive. Um, I've been resurrected in some way. 
that person has the prerogative on that setting, on that particular part of it, because their character is going to be come, coming from that. Mm-hmm. So they get to decide the social structure of that undead army, why they came back from the dead, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people look at that and they're like, oh, but doesn't that take the mystery out of the game? No, um, it does not. It, <laughs> it, does, it absolutely does not. <laughs> it does. No, you're absolutely right. It does not remove the mystery. You can still be surprised. Your character can still experience things that are surprising. And the whole group can, even though you come up with stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you ba- find that basis and have that understanding within yourself and with your everyone else that like, this is going to be a safe space where we all can build this. And if you know that, then from there, it's not only going to be smooth sailing, but it's at least a good place to start. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that we talked a lot about when we did our episode on um, our session zero episode was kind of having that open communication and um, I keep saying it. People are going to be so tired of hearing this, like now in episode whatever of this. Um, that <laughs> your role playing group is a type of relationship, and like any good relationship, you need to have communication about what your expectations are, what your boundaries are, all of those things, and say, you know, here's what I would like from you. Here's, you know, like what can I do for you to make this successful? All of that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like world building works very much the same way. Any collaborative project does saying like, here's what I would like from you. Here's the parameters that we're working within. Let's see what happens. And then Absolutely. also having that communication when things aren't working of stopping to evaluate and say, yeah. why, you know, like, where is the problem rather than just like throwing your hands up in the air and saying this isn't working? Like, w- mm-hmm. where are things breaking down? Yeah. I mean, any relationship we have is a collaborative world building experience. You get married and that's a collaborative world building experience. Yep. Um, you date somebody and it's a collaborative world building experience. You go to work or go to school or go to an organization that is now a collaborative world building experience between you and those and those people. Um, all of this thing, these things that we talk about in gaming have real life applications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not just a bunch of nerds sitting in basements, you know, trying to escape the world. I mean, we are we're, that too sometimes. We are that too. We are absolutely also, that too. We contain multitudes. But also, <laughs> also, we are learning how to, because that is what storytelling is. That's what mythology is. Mythology and stories are teaching us how to be human. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do when we role play. We tell stories and we learn how to be human. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about collaborative world building with others is seeing everybody kind of riff off of one another. Mm-hmm. When somebody comes up with a, a cool idea, but it's not exactly solidified. And then another person's like, well, what if we add this? And then that sparks something in somebody else. And, and now it's just idea after idea after idea of something that makes this initial, like, that was a pretty decent idea into something that's just remarkable and now crucial. And something yeah. you never could have done by yourself, you know, yeah. you just, your brain, you have very different lived experiences, you have different personalities and ideas of what you want things to look like, that once you start adding in those other people, you get something much richer than you would have had on your own. Yeah, Absolutely. well, exactly. And I think that that's really what we're kind of talking about here is the root of why we want to play games in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as kids, we... We can have toys or we can have no toys and we can be anywhere at a certain age and anything is possible. 
and any stranger can come up to you on the playground, you know, some other kid that you don't know. And you can be like, hey, you want to be in my army? We're playing a game. And they're like, cool. Yeah. And like everybody just says yes to things. Um, and all of that kind of uh, ties back into what uh, what I was trying to do with uh, the game that I wrote for 200 word RPG last year, um, Sidewalkia, mm-hmm. uh, which is that like. You can stand in the middle of a sidewalk and and say that you're playing a game, but until you have somebody come into the square and say, I will play with you, then it, you can't, you know, nothing happens, right? Um, what did you, you said something at one point, Drew, not tonight, but another time, um, that like art can't be created in a void. I, I remember you saying that to me at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's basically it, yeah. Um, that like, that that childhood impulse to create and invent and imagine and play out and explore and experience things together, not just by yourself, but with other kids, that that carries into a certain level of subconscious decision making as adults. And that that's why many of us continue to play games that don't involve, you know, mm-hmm. LARPing being its own thing, of course, um, but that uh, many of the games that we play don't involve props or costumes or, you know, whatever, that that so much of what we strive for is just that moment where everyone's sitting around the table and this beautiful thing mm-hmm. just happened and we're all grinning at each other like idiots because it came it came seemingly out of nowhere, but not out of nowhere because everybody has entered this contract together, this this agreement to mm-hmm. imagine and to create together. Absolutely. Which is really, really cool. That's art. So there are so many things to think about when creating a world or a setting, uh, but probably the the very first one people need to consider is what kind of world they want to play in. Uh, some games actually guide you to answering this question, such as Descent into Midnight uh, in my game Chimera. Uh, but without those tools available in the game that you're playing, how do you go about making a decision like that? That's a... That's a fundamental structure question because uh, yeah. there's so much that goes into that and so much you need to like figure out. Um, but I guess the, the the first thing you need to decide is you need to ask a question. Um, mm-hmm. There, nothing is created if there are no questions. You know, we don't we don't make anything if we don't if we already know everything. Why make anything? And so the first thing you do is you ask a question, and it can be a simple question. It can be um, what happens. When um, a nation is mm-hmm. run by a dog, you know, like it's it's if you go with that, like you like, OK, you hold on to that first question. And from that first question, you're going to spiral out and figure out things. But to me, um, you really got to like sit down and like figure out. You got to ask yourself all those little questions until you find like, what is the thing? What is the thing that makes this setting different than any other setting? Or what, what is a, what about it hooks me into it and that I'm interested in mm-hmm. finding, yeah. finding out the, the answers to. Um, for us in Warda, it was magic. I mean, one of the first things I wrote down. Uh, when we stopped talking uh, in that line, we actually sat down and wrote stuff. I, hmm. I wrote, it all begins with magic. And um, I we sat down and had to decide what 
what is magic? Because we were talking about Fae, we were talking about the Fae coming from a different plane of existence or a different world and arriving in this place. Um, we had to figure out, like, okay, they obviously are magical creatures, so how does that work? What, how does magic work? And it was such a fundamental building block of our setting that everything kind of spiraled out of that. Yeah. And so it may take you uh, one or two different questions to ask till you find that central question that is central to what your world is about. Um, and it's trial and error, and it's also working with people around you. Um, and, but I guess the, the, mm -hmm. the best thing to say is, like, don't be precious about it. Don't be precious about, like, I have to find the perfect question. I have to find the perfect entry point into this world. You don't have mm -hmm. to. You can enter anywhere, and eventually you will find the, the center of it. Um, or, you know, you can start on that first thing and that is the center and you spiral outwards. That's really the two ways that world building works in my brain is you either begin mm -hmm. from inside out or outside in. Um, and either way is valid and either way um, just takes communication and figuring out what's going on with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, in terms of world building for gaming, um, that the one of the questions you need to consider early on is well, what kind of game we want to play. Mm -hmm. Do we want to play a game like D and D where combat is present and prevalent in many cases? Um, do we want to play a game like Descent into Midnight where uh, that that character driven personality, almost like emotion driven uh, storytelling, is the prime directive of the game? Um, do we want to play something where, uh, you know, where we need dice, where we need cards, where we need uh, a, a tic-tac-toe board, you know, whatever. Um, but as far as, as far as for a game standpoint, you need to know, you need to ask what kind of game it's going to be. And from there, you can figure out what kind of world it will be. In, in one way, when we were creating Warda, we got to a certain point and Drew put his foot down and was like, we gotta have, we gotta have combat. Combat has to be present. And I was like, but so far we've built a very societal, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, civilized like culture where everything mm -hmm. is all about hierarchy and social standpoint and all of this stuff. And he goes, then we make it culture. And I was like, well, how do we do that? And he goes, we have dueling mm. clubs. And I was like, oh. Okay, because Warda is not or should not be a place where people fight <laughs> in the streets and become murder hobos like in D&D. &D. Um, and that's not every D&D &D game, but that is a, a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted Warda to be a place where um, you can do whatever you want, depending on where you put your focus. So Drew built this whole system of how magic in combat works and why it works that way. And then he built the societal concept of uh, dueling clubs and different fight styles and different philosophies that go into it. And that that's how the societal elite get into it. And that the lower you go on the social ladder, the less elite um, fight uh perhaps more for money or perhaps more for street cred or whatever, but that he found a way to build that into the world because that was something he knew he wanted to be yeah. a part of the game when we played it, um, which is a cool sort of inversion of what you were describing before, I feel. And also a lot of the combat in Warda is social. Like we, oh, we gosh, do a so lot much of, social combat. <laughs> we do a, so much of this. Combat. 
uh, of this back and forth of like you say this and I say that and we have repartee between the two of us, which is it's a sword fight. Any yeah. you have any argument with anybody, yeah. it's a sword fight. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, we have that as well. And so by knowing that, by knowing that like, oh, we want these things and then asking your questions, you know, you'll have a good foundation and you build off of that. Yeah. And then I was going to say from a fiction standpoint, from a writing standpoint with world building, um, that sometimes it's not, I'm going to sit down and build this sandcastle to play with. But sometimes you get stuck on a, a, a line or an image or a feeling or um, some people I know start with the end and they come up with this beautiful finale and then they work backwards um, and they build the world around this moment that they've seen in their head. Um, for me, the current thing I'm working on uh, started with an image of uh, basically like a, a female cowboy, but her mount is a unicorn in a world Ooh. where unicorns are like wild Mustangs um, and they're everywhere. And it's kind of like I was stuck on why are they everywhere? Why is this the thing in this fantasy world that I want to explore? And obviously I'm a sucker for unicorns, but um, but I wanted to see what would happen. And so I built backwards from that with Drew's help and have created this fantasy, high fantasy storyline with the trappings of a Western, of an American Western. Um, so it's... It's an interesting combo that came out of one image of this character riding a unicorn into the sunset on the on the range, you know, um, and and sometimes you have to build from that image or that's that feeling or that character or even that that banter between two characters that you have in your head and build outwards from that moment. Um, rather than sitting down with a clean slate and a fresh pen and saying, okay, I will now build a world from scratch mm -hmm. because I know that that's super daunting and scary. Um, but that a lot of writers I know find that those idea buds come from really weird places. Um, and if you keep digging around them, you come up with a whole treasure One of, chest, one of my you know? favorite uh, things to go to first is figuring out what type of genre that you want to play with. Um, so if you're doing high fantasy, that's going to look a lot different than like a cyberpunk world, right? So figuring out what type of mm -hmm. genre everybody wants to kind of play in uh, can definitely spark the imagination of everybody around the table of what they want to see in that sort of world. I think that sort of leads into our next question, too, which is what details do you think are sort of the most important to consider? And obviously this is going to depend wildly on the group and what kind of game you're playing and things like that. But when you start to build a world from scratch, what things do you think people really need to think about or consider as part of that world building? For me, the first thing that I always ask is aesthetic. Um, I ask for, for tone. I ask for that, the, the wash of it. Like if you were just to paint that wall with this, whatever this is, what does it look like? Um, and in that sense, when we first started doing Warda, I literally said, on the wall, what does it look like? What is this thing? What is this world you want to build? And, and Ali went early 1900s, um, like garden party, conservatory, glass, grass, um, 
you know, but mystical. Like, and all of a sudden, with those like few buzzwords and like painting that aesthetic on the wall, you can see, oh, that is what we're looking at. We're looking at this thing that is roughly um, a 1900s painting of a garden, but they're all fairies. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And and from making that aesthetic, and we recently just did this uh, with an, another thing. Um, we've got a bunch of our friends over, and I was like, we're going to build stump something. We're just going to build a world, the four of us. We're going to sit down. We're going to figure this out. Um, and they were like, oh, I was like, okay, the aesthetic, what does it look like? And they were like, it's space, but with brass and wood and rusted metal and, and I was like, so treasure planet. I was just going to say planet? treasure planet. Okay. <laughs> and and they, they were like, well, not exactly treasure planet, but there's also neon. Tron. So Tron. But, so it's Tron. Tron. So I was like, okay, so it's a it's a neo-Georgian Tron space pirates. Is that what we're looking at here? And they were like, yeah. And that immediately invokes, invokes an image. And it invokes um, that patina that, that you've kind of painted on that wall. Yeah. And looking at it from different angles, you go, okay, so I feel like this, this is this kind of genre, or this is, we're going to go with these type of people, or we're going to go with this level of tech. Um, so that to me, by getting all those ideas down in the very beginning and looking at that wall and then having everybody who's sitting there going, well, I see this and I see this and I see this. None of those, none of those answers are wrong. All of those answers that they just gave are absolutely correct for what we're seeing, and they can all now be a part of the world that you're building. Yeah. And I think the so way that, it, like, spider webs from there, too, like, if you talk about your, like, early 1900s garden parties, already tells me, like, okay, here's what the level of technology is, but, you know, we are right. in a society where garden parties are a thing, right? Like, you mm-hmm. are in a sort of, like... You know, like there is this cultural aesthetic to that too. Then, like we are not in like a you know a wild anarchy sort of free range nowhere kind of a place. Like you have mm-hmm. set social structures then too, right? And so it's like you've already built up those like basic elements by just saying like we have garden parties, right? Yeah, I think that's super important. That, um, and it's not something that I realized until I started collaborating on things with Drew. That aesthetic is a really great starting point. Um, partly because, as a writer, if I can see something, I can write it. If I can't see it, I have a hard time getting <laughs> into it in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with reading. Like if I'm reading something and I can't see who is talking well enough, I struggle to to connect with what's going on there. Um, but that I know that that's not true for everybody, you know, and it won't be true for everybody. But since working with Drew, I really like the idea of starting with a look, an aesthetic, a feel, a texture, and then spiraling outwards, like you said, um, Amelia, from there, because that does tell you tech level and it tells you about their language and it tells you about the structure of their world on a social level and on a political level. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know. Do I? Yeah, I feel like the aesthetic is, is a good starting place just from the experiences we've had. Um, but I know that, uh, like, like mm-hmm. you were saying, Ryan, like you need to know what genre you're going to play with first. Um, that like, if you lay down genre and then you layer on top of it an aesthetic and mm-hmm. make some choices, make some big, bold choices there, um, that it can take you in 
totally new directions. Like I'm sitting here thinking if I didn't start with aesthetic and I knew I was doing fantasy, myself and probably an infinite number of other people would assume Mm -hmm. the same aesthetic for that fantasy. We would assume, uh, you know, the ranger has a deep green cloak with a silver clasp and a quiver of arrows on their back and boots that are covered in mud from the road and the tavern and the pony pulling the cart. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all going to go to that Tolkien place, right, Um, as a baseline. But the beautiful thing about uh, fantasy fiction and fantasy media now, um, where we are now with things in the year of our Lord 2019, uh, there are so many other options. And there are so many things that we haven't explored. Like you could put all of the, you could write down a ton of, like you said, Drew buzzwords and put them on scraps of paper, shuffle them around mm-hmm. and pull six of them out of a hat and build that world. Easy. <laughs> like that's a, that's great, a really good idea. That's actually, a great yeah. way to jump in. Right. But I, I'm saying that both for myself and for anyone listening who might be like, but how do you come up with an aesthetic? You know, the other advice we have for you is oh, Pinterest. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pinterest is amazing. Mm-hmm. Pinterest is so great. Like, goodness there's so much there that you wouldn't have thought of if you just keep clicking around you know and actually in pinterest if you just put the word aesthetic after what you're looking for (laughs) oh my god so many wonderful things it's the magic word it's the magic keyword you write you could write down you know dark fairy tale aesthetic and you just get like this wash of color and pictures and you're like Mm -hmm. oh oh yeah that's exactly what i want or it's that but, yeah. you know, there is no metal. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. whatever you want to do with it. I mean, hell, you could even type in something from an existing IP. You could type in Star Wars aesthetic and you'll probably come up with things that are from Star yeah. Wars, but that make you go, ooh, I didn't notice that. Or, ooh, that's what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? And so there's, there's that wonderful uh, technological tool that we have to just sit down and be like, new world, new board, new aesthetics. What are we doing here? Let's look at that. Let's look at this. Let's make some sections. Let's just <laughs> troll Pinterest for six hours um, and like cast our nets and see what we can, we can exactly. gather up. And that's the fun part of it for me. Like just kind of going out and fishing for that and like figuring that out and finding ways that you've never looked at it before. And also, I mean – Yes, the the aesthetic for me is the most important. I realize that I've answered the question. (laughs) I think – I mean some of it is going to depend too on what you're doing with this world you're building. So in the case of Warda, you wanted to be able to use it for games and for writing and all of those kinds of things. I know personally when I like to look at playing a game, one of the questions that I like to ask in our session zero always is what is the – the tone or the theme of this game? Like what kind of themes do we want to explore? Are we talking about like family? Are we talking about revenge? Are we talking about revolution and things like that? And I know that sometimes that can be helpful in building your world. So like if you start with something like revolution, okay, obviously there's a system where some people are on top and some people are not, Mm -hmm. right? Like what are you revolting against? And so you kind of like start to build out from there too by saying, these are the things that I want to explore. And some of that world building then will happen more in the game than before the game. But you kind of start getting an idea of like, these are the things that are important to the story that I want to use this for. And I think it, it also kind of narrows the focus a little bit because I think world building can be really daunting sometimes too, because you're like, 
okay, I need a government system and I need to know the history and I need to know like all of these details. Whereas if you start with a theme, you're like, okay, I need to know how it relates to this particular piece of it. Yeah, exactly. So how do you ensure that the world you create isn't too restrictive then? Uh, I, I have a follow-up question for that. In what way? Uh, especially you if you're going to be playing in this world, uh, like you don't want it to be, uh, and especially if you're going to be playing in this world and constantly adding to it, you don't want it to be too restrictive of a setting where you can't easily add in your own details, right? I think this is something that more happens like the longer you've been playing in that kind of world. But like, how do you get to a point where it's not like you have to read this full Wikipedia page before you can sit down and feel comfortable moving around in it? (laughs) We don't know what that's like. (laughs) I don't understand the question. (laughs) Word is too big. I mean, but I think that that's part of it too then, right? The answer is like, if you make a world that's big enough, you should feel free to move around in it, you know? For sure. Yeah, I mean, hmm. Hmm. Here's the thing. Um, I think the best way to make sure that your world isn't too restrictive on your players and on yourself, uh, if you are the one building it and also you if you're playing it, is to realize that, again, go back to that contract we set up in the very beginning and realize like, okay, what are the rules here? What can I change? And if you're feeling restricted, if you're feeling like, oh, I don't feel like I can go in that direction with it, um, the question is, why not? Right. Uh, so much of what we say is impossible is absolutely possible um, in our real everyday life. Um, and so why shouldn't it be for your made up fantasy world that you are now in um, that it is absolutely possible for you to do that? And if it is, if you're just going to sit there and go, uh, so I'm going to decide that in this world, um, I've gotten to a point where I no longer want, want to be a part of this social structure that we're in. I would like to leave that social structure. And if we sit there and go, but we've established that nobody leaves this social structure at all, that to do that is death. You have to sit there and go, then I'm the exception. Um, and then mm. how, and then build how you are the exception. There is always an exception. Mm-hmm. And the exception and the contradiction is usually where the story is. When I, um, when I was learning acting in grad school, one of the things they would always tell us is that your character is in your contradictions. Um, Hamlet, his contradiction is – we look at his super objective. His super objective is we can throw out any number of things. But let's just say his super objective is I want to be seen as competent because I am not competent. That is his contradiction. Um, and so his whole arc is then him trying to see himself as competent, trying to prove to everyone that he is a competent person, when in actuality he is not. And that's the contradiction, and that's where the character comes from. It's the same thing when you're building. If you get to a point where you feel the contradiction in your character or in the world, you go, that's where the story is. That's where the interesting thing is happening in the world. If I'm building building a world and I get to a point and I go, yeah, it's impossible to do that, but the characters need to do that or it's, yeah, this yeah. needs to happen, then you go, mm-hmm. this is the story. This is it. This is it. This is where it is. Um, and so if you have that formula in mind as you build things and as you're learning things about the world, I don't think it can become too restrictive. Um in the, uh, in the idea that it, if it gets too big, um, if it gets too big, 
remember there's always corners of the world that no one's explored. And you can always be like, well, great. We've, we've built all this. We built all this stuff. Let's now look at this small corner over mm-hmm. here and we'll tell a story in that corner and we'll build out from that way. And eventually we'll hit the rest of the story. And now it is a part of the story. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting. And if there are parts like, well, that contradicts with that and that and that, then again, mm-hmm. those are your stories. How do those work? I think that one of the ways that Warda has managed to both be massive and also uh, structured, but not too restrictive, is one of the things that we've done all along since its inception uh, is like anytime we run into something that in our real world history or our real world present is a thing, we often in Warda will mm. go nah and invert it completely. For example, um, humans being on the bottom of the social ladder. That's one thing. Because we would normally expect humans to be at the top and the Fae to be their servants. But it's the opposite. Look at you, Carnival Row. <laughs> Hashtag Carnival Row. Hashtag Amazon Prime. Um, one of the other things is we, we – one of the things that we built from the beginning was that Warda is a sex-positive society. Um, that there, there are so many – not only legal, but like commonplace and openly discussed uh, options for for people to engage in sex work in Warda. Um, we haven't gone into that in detail in the podcast or in the fiction, but it's there. It exists, and it has from the beginning. Um, also, the gender spectrum and the sexuality spectrum. There are fey and humans of all genders, all pronouns, all preferences. And it's all totally acceptable, like, and and legal. The only illegal thing that we've really established is that um, Faye can't mm. legally marry humans. Um, that And that has to do with the reason why humans are at the bottom of that social ladder. But we, so we've taken these things that we, we, we take for granted as far as power imbalances, especially, I think, in our modern society and in our in our real world history and we've inverted their equivalents um, so that they're in places where we find in real life uh, there is restriction. We give, we gave it freedom in Warda instead. We gave it total <laughs> open possibility. Would you agree with that? I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And that's always a good exercise to do. If you get to a point where you go, Oh, but this is always the common thing. Mm-hmm. You go, well, just invert that yeah, and see what it. happens with it. Flip it over. Like, what's on the other side? Yeah. If you're going to be like, oh, there's this uh, evil empire and they're all about war, then you invert them. Like, well, there's an evil empire and they're all about peace. What's that about? Yeah, what? Yeah. Um, yeah what? Like, that's, that's interesting. Guys? Yeah. Like, what's up with those guys? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And you just invert it and immediately go, oh, that's yeah. – uh, I have to figure out why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that that to me has has created a lot of freedom in Warda that in, you know, as opposed to it being all of these rules that people new people coming into the world have to follow. It's more like, here's the way this kind of looks and feels. You can do whatever you want Mm -hmm. and I'll show you how it fits. So that's how we usually introduce people to water. We give them the elevator pitch and then we invite them in by saying, who do you want to be? What do you want to do? And they go, well, I, I think my character is going to be, um, a hat maker. And we're like, cool. 
high class, low class, what are you feeling? And then we drive, we like help sort of mold it with them by giving them the freedom to choose these things. um, And us sort of being the little like midwives, the little doulas that go, yes, good. And in this direction, we find all of these different things. Do you want to learn about any of these so that you can have that incorporate into your character? Um, But I think that that's, that's really it is that by, by giving, those inversions into the structure uh, that we allow people to not only break the rules, but help create them. And that keeps it from being restrictive. One of the other questions that I had on here was how you ensure that when you're doing something collaborative, you don't feel like people are ruining your thing, which we've kind Mm -hmm. of talked about. So Mm -hmm. what I want to ask instead is how do you kind of, pinpoint those places where you are feeling like somebody's you know ruining your thing and how do you how do you kind of address that and sort of understand that so like when you have that moment of like no no that's not what i want what do you do with that it's a good question um we did a a bunch of warda one shots we call glimpses and we brought in a lot of people that had never been a part of the world before and we just let them play and see what happened. Um, and there were a couple of times where things would get to a point where I'm like, oh, does that, does that okay? Is that, I feel like that's going to break something. Um, and when it gets to that point and they begin to like press on that, um, and you begin to feel there's that, that kind of resistance and that pressure happening with you, um, you one have to take a step back mm-hmm. and think, is it really that important? Um, in in writing, they talk about kill your darlings. Um, and the, the concept behind that being that your ideas feel so more, much more important to you than they do to anyone else because you are you. Um, and sometimes your ideas are not always the best ideas. And so if it gets to a point and you go, you have to sit down, you have to remove yourself from the equation, remove yourself emotionally from it and look at it and go, in the whole, if this is now changed, will it destroy everything I want? And if it doesn't, you have to be okay letting it go and letting it, letting it quote unquote, not die, but change. Mm-hmm. But let us say you look back and go, no, no, that is a, a linchpin to this entire world. Um, I need this to remain the same if I want to continue doing this down the line. It is 100% okay to stop and look at your players or look at your GM or look at anybody there and go, hey, this is what I'm feeling about it. And that's that's terrifying. It's terrifying to like stop everything and like pull everyone out of the mind space that you have built to Mm -hmm. go, I'm uncomfortable with changing this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but you can do it and you should do it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's the whole reason behind the X card and all the other safety mechanisms we're beginning to build into our games. Um, and those are not just for things that are like, well, I'm uncomfortable with, you know, child torture. Um, it's also being like, I'm uncomfortable with changing the, changing our non-binary queen X or, you know, our non-binary ruler. Mm-hmm. into a king. I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable doing that. Mm. Um, and then being, oh, okay. And then as a group saying, why? 
and not in a like, why, why, why you do that? Why, why can't we do that? But being like, this is obviously very important to you. Why? Um, there's so much to be, to be said about taking a moment and having empathy for everyone at the table as a creator and understanding that they are feeling probably the same things you are feeling. If not exactly the same, they at least deserve your empathy and deserve your, deserve your ear. I think that's all the more um, true when you're doing something as a collaborative project mm-hmm. that like you've all Absolutely. put something into and then recognizing that like as much as this thing, you know, pulls at you, it probably pulls at them in different ways too. And so I, the first thing I go to is like, okay, if this thing feels bad to me, um, why does it feel bad? Like what part of it feels bad? You know, is it because I'm worried about what it's going to do for my character? Am I worried about how it's tied to this other thing? And do I just like feel kind of icky about it? Like, where is that distress coming from? And then sort of Mm -hmm. like backtracking from there to say like, okay, is it something that I should just let go of? Is it something that like we can make adjustments to and still be okay with? Like, how do you, you know, like that's a conversation that I think that you mm-hmm. need to have, especially when it's collaborative. And that's the key. It's a, it's a conversation. You get to open up that conversation and you should be open and allowing of that. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. So we've got a lot of tools to create these worlds and there's a lot of different ways we can go with mm-hmm. the creation of these worlds together. Uh, do you have any suggestions for cataloging the information about the worlds that we come up with? Um, we got into <laughs> Google Docs in a big way. <laughs> um, partly because it's on the mm-hmm. internet, which means you can access it from your phone as well as your computer. Um, so we would, we could do, we could add, add things and edit files while we were like out and about coming up with stuff on the fly, um, which was very useful. It meant that we could collaboratively edit these files together at the same time, which is very useful. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it auto saves. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I love that for us. Um, do you remember those days where you had to like mm-hmm. save manually and Gosh, you forget? And- yeah. and you would just cross your fingers oh. and hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you go, wait, how long ago? And you forgot your floppy disk at school <laughs> in your locker. Oh, gosh. Oh, man, yeah. Yes. What even is a flash drive? Gosh. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure there are other softwares, uh, but Google... Uh, software. Go- software. Google Drive has been our, our rock and our foundation from the beginning of Warda. We also both do a lot of writing things down by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, we carry notebooks and pens with us wherever we go. Um, and, you know, we we take a lot of handwritten notes. We both have notebooks from the beginning of Warda that are still filled with stuff um, that we wrote down at the time. Um, and most of it made it into us transcribing it into Google Drive so that we have it forever. Um, and we're not going, hey, where's that notebook? What what notebook was I writing <laughs> in at the time? Well, you you know, know. Until society collapses. Yeah, until society collapses, Google Drive is sort of my vote. I um, I have played around with things like D&D Beyond and World Anvil and stuff like that. The, those programs that are made for mm-hmm. world building. And they are so daunting. Yeah, um, there's a lot to learn. This You have so much to, like, learn and how does this work and what does that work. And so I always go back to – I always go back to Google Docs, which is 
you know, day one when I was sixth grade making a story and I would just be in, in Microsoft Word yep. just typing things. Yep. And, and you know, that's I, I transferred over to Google Docs doing that way. But really, really the best mm-hmm. thing I can say is whatever works for you. Yeah. Whatever you're going to use and is going to be good for you. If you're using <laughs> a you know, Dewey Decimal System, uh, you know, card catalog for what you got, that's great. If you're going to use notebooks, if you're going to use Google Docs or World Anvil or whatever, I mean, I I use a lot of spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Love a good spreadsheet. Spreadsheets I, are yeah. amazing for characters. For characters, especially. I use spreadsheets all the time. Timelines. Timelines mm-hmm. for just information that needs to be quantified in a small block and that you want to yeah. see it in one go spreadsheets. Do we use spreadsheets for math? Never. No. Only for writing. For writing. Yes. Uh, because Correct. Because we are we are us and math is I, hard. I, I, math I love is bad. Math. Qualitative, <laughs> not quantitative. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's okay. Good you can like you. math. You're, you're allowed to write it. Yeah, you're, you're allowed do to do what's good for you. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, like for me that's that's the what the main thing. Um and mm-hmm. it's good to remember to be organized in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in cataloging your information, but organizing that information in such a way that is mm-hmm. easily accessible to you and to everyone around you. Um, one thing that I am starting to do, I haven't done it in the past, I've tried to do it in the past and it hasn't always worked out, is um, I will do a uh, like a title, like a, a table of contents doc where I just have... I write down everything I know that I'm going to write about and I'll like write about it here and there and like have it all, all ready to go. But if there's something that I'm like, oh, this blurb is not enough. I need to do a whole page on it. I will have a whole page mm-hmm. and I will make sure that that is in a, in a proper, in appropriate place. Um, but having that first big page of these are the important things. Here's our timeline. Here's this thing about, about the Fae. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about humans. Here's how half genes work. Here's how magic works. You know, all having these, the touchstones of what's going on in your world that are the most important. And then being like, if, if you're mm-hmm. interested, please see, you know, A1, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, keeping yourself organized because if you cannot find the information you wrote, then it might as well never been yeah. written. I know some people use Wiki as well. Mm, um, yeah. where you can set up like wikis on like Wikia or whatever. Uh, it makes it a little bit more public. Uh, but if it's just you and your group editing and not really advertising, hey, go to this wiki and, and see our world, then that's a pretty decent place to to organize things I've I've found. We really gotta do a wiki. Yeah. I mean someone started a wiki for Warda. I don't know I don't know how detailed it is, but it exists. That's very cool. It's there. It's yeah, yeah it's there. They're somewhere. they're great to do if you start them right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's exactly uh-huh. it. Yeah. Otherwise, they're real daunting. Because well, it, it's interesting because uh, you were talking about having an outline at first and then going from the outline and expanding up the each topic and then expanding on that topic there. And a wiki is kind of perfect for that because you can create links that go to nowhere. And then once you yeah. click on that, you can go ahead yeah. and create that page right away. And if, exactly. and if that's going to spider out into something else, you just create more links and you'd be like, I'll get to that when we get to that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I am writing all this down. Actually, this is good information. I need to remember. <laughs> uh, 
Three or four years is, in is oh. not the time to start, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Like the word of wiki, the word of wiki would take would take forever, e- forever so. to do. That's the thing Another, you crowdsource. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a crowdsourcing thing. The other thing um, I would say is using Discord as a world building tool with a group as a collaborative world building tool. Yeah. Because in a Discord chat, you can search. Yeah. For yep. Things. And so being so like, nice. we have we have an entire Discord channel on biology nice. when it comes to fey so we would sit down and be like okay um the earth fey the sylvani what is their biology how does it work how does life death and birth work for mm-hmm. them like how does that work how does this work how does reproduction work how does all the other bodily functions work and then we'd move on and go to another another one and so if anybody's like oh i forgot how how do how are young Silvani born? You go, oh, let's find that out. And we type mm-hmm. that in. There it is. And we can read it. So that's a good place to, like, keep your thoughts. Especially if you're working with more than, like, two other people. Because yeah. um, Discord can be great for just discussing things and shooting the breeze and figuring it out as you go, you know? Yeah. Chatting. I, I like having them, honestly, for basically all of my gaming groups because you can have Mm. channels for like here's our world building here's our character stuff here's our scheduling channel like you can and it's all still there then later when you go back and say like what did we say about this character Mm -hmm. oh right now it's you know so I, i find that helpful like even if you're not doing a huge world building thing even if it's just you know something small um discord's a really good place to do a lot of that mm-hmm. and then pinning the the really important information mm-hmm. it's yeah. so good yeah i want to ask like the big question of this episode now um which is what makes doing this a quote-unquote better experience like why would you suggest someone do their own world building versus picking up an established setting I was going to say uh, the freedom of of creation and, and knowing that uh, if a question comes up in a game, for example, or a story, and you're like, I don't know the answer. Let's come up with the answer now. Um, versus knowing that the world exists already in a book that you have to read and know and remember and check and cross-check and all of that. I was going to say that, but then I remember that, like, Nine times out of ten, when someone asks me a question about Warda, I don't remember the answer. And I have to turn to Drew like he's the DM guide and go, hey, honey, do you remember how this works? And he'll be like, yeah, it's this. And I'm like, great. Yes, correct. That's right. I was just checking. You just have Drew instead of a book. Right. It's just Drew because his brain is is like a steel trap like nothing it's all there still all the time and i'm over in the corner like but i can't remember your name to save my life (laughs) (laughs) but i'm over there in the corner like but what flavor tea are they having but how many dogs does she own (laughs) what just the important hair ribbon Right, you know what I mean. Which is why collectively we are we don't have like an official company or anything, but our creative duo is called Whimsy and Artifice because somebody knows how to build things and somebody knows how to make it colorful. <laughs> I I think making it you know for quote unquote lack of a better word better the better experience with building your own world. I think. I think we do it so subconsciously anyway. 
where we do it all the time. Even if you're going to play in Ed Greenwood's The Forgotten Realms, which was made, goodness, in the 70s. <laughs> um, so you're looking at like 40 years of history built into this fantasy mm-hmm. world. Um, even if you're going to you're gonna delve into that, you're going to build it. It's going to be different. Um, your, your candle keep doesn't necessarily have to be my candle keep. And, you know, your, your, um, you know, your chult is not my chult. Uh, that's just the way, that's the way we do it. We're always constantly world building mm-hmm. and it's always going to be different than what is actually put down in the book. Um, so we're always doing it, but I think if you're doing it from scratch to make it a better experience, uh, the, thing that makes it a better experience for me is that it's personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it is so it. very personal to you. And it gets to a point where, you know, I um I, I always think about so do you guys watch Critical Role? No. Are you are you are you critters? No. Um it's okay if you're not. It's absolutely <laughs> okay if you're not. Like we got enough podcasts, don't we? Got, we? we got enough. Oh. It's fine. It's, right. it's over six hundred hours of things. And it's I think totally that's fine, part of it for me. Yeah. Is I'm like, this is too daunting now at this point. I, like, I'm four exactly. episodes it, in uh, for the first season, oh. and that's it. Oh, congratulations! Good luck. <laughs> um, it's, well it's, it's, it's a fun. It's a it's a fun ride. But I think one of the things that is so interesting about that experience that has happened is that Matt Mercer built that world with those people. Mm-hmm. And, and he's able, and I mean, they're also like, that's the funny thing when people are like, why is it my group? Like Matt Mercer's group. And like, well, they're, they're professional actors. Yeah. Like that's one thing. Most of them have been on Broadway. Like it's, it's when they were children, when they were children, <laughs> come on. We do have an um, episode about that. Why doesn't my home game sound like this actual play that I listen to? It's like, well, <laughs> it's like, well, because, okay. Anyway, we can go on forever about <laughs> yeah. that. But what, what I'm, what I feel is really interesting about it is that because they built that world together, and Matt built a good part of it. Like I'm Matt, Mer- like I say Matt, like Matt, I know yeah. Matt. You, you know, know Matt. 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 <laughs> Matt Mercer. Matt Mercer built that world, and his friends helped him flesh it out to the point that they are able to wring such emotional meaning out of it. And and like, if that's not the game you want to play, if you're if you're not going to play an emotional game where you're like living the story and living these lives, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, why did my parents leave me as an orphan when I was a when I was little? You know, if you're not looking to find those those stories, you know, maybe world building isn't for you um, in this in this this genre that you're building. But if that is what you're looking for, um, it is so personal in what mm-hmm. you're doing, and you find so many things about my character not just my character, but me, I built this thing yeah. and it is now this thing that I built and I have it. And not only had, did I build it, but it now is affecting everyone at the mm-hmm. table in what I built. And not only that, but I am feeling an, a heightened emotional state because I not yeah. only because I built it because I'm interacting mm-hmm. with it in a way that now has its own life. I built this thing and now it lives. Yeah. And there is no better feeling than that. Than making something and seeing it come to life in front of your eyes, which is why I look at Critical Role and I'm like, I like shake my fist at the heavens because that's what they did. They did the thing that everybody wants. They turned their D&D game into like an animated series. So now they can see all of it and feel all of it. And so many people do that. And that's, 
it's the dream. And you can feel that. You, you can feel just like those guys feel by doing, by building a world and making it this way and giving yourself over to it. Um, and that's why I think it's a better experience. And I think what you're saying there, Drew, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it doesn't matter if your original collaborative world building experience has any audience at all. Mm. As long as you and the people you are collaborating with are in that agreement together and playing and creating and exploring and discovering that that feeling is still there and that, 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 I mean, art can't be created in a vacuum, like we said before, but art can exist in a private place. Um, and that, that feeling that you get when you've all come together on a scene and it has gone terribly even or really really well and like everybody is on the same that same emotional wavelength that that's really fantastic yeah. and that that it doesn't have to be for an audience it doesn't have to be for mm-hmm. a twitch stream or a patreon or anything it can just be you and these people that you're that you're playing with and it can just be for you and that's that's okay and i can guarantee that matt mercer and laura bailey and liam o'brien do not feel any more than you do at your table. Like it's not, they, they are, their experience is not some somehow holier or better than mm-hmm. yours. But your th- experience is just as heightened as theirs. And that's the thing I think is that like, you see the fun that they're having, you can have this too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's, yes. that's really the, the crux of it is that like, you watch how excited people are when they're, when they're doing things. Like you can always hear it in podcasts and things when people are like, oh, what about this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. you can have that too at your own table. Like even if nobody else in the world hears you have that moment, uh, like nobody else yeah. in the world hears you're really good idea you still had a really good mm-hmm. idea yeah yeah exactly and that's, that's it that's the reason we do it like at all that's the reason we do any of this is because we fe- we get that rush mm-hmm. we get that feeling it is there and we f- are we are creators that's what we do we create and we feel the joy from it and that's why we do it. Absolutely. I think I just always feel like happier, like mucking around in my own thing mm-hmm. too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and not that you can't take an established setting and play around with it. Like as someone who routinely plays L5R and is fully aware of like the amount of lore that there is there, like it still feels really good when you have like your own world and you can kind of like pull different strings and you can just decide, you know what, this thing it's here now because I need it to be Mm -hmm. that. Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel much safer. Safer is not even the right word, but like more comfortable and Mm -hmm. like it, I'm quicker to do those things in Mm -hmm. my own settings than I am in an established one because I'm not worried that it's going to like break something in like down the line. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and collaborative world building feels a lot to me like um, painting with imagination with your mm, with yeah. people yeah. at the table. Like an established setting, you're you're still doing a little bit of painting with your imagination, but it's more paint by numbers kind of it's thing. Detail yes. work, Instead yeah. of uh, uh, here's a blank canvas, let's make some art together. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. I think it immediately ties the people at the table together, too, because you know that, like, 
you know, if you read a setting and I read a setting, like the way we interpreted those things yeah. could be very different. Be different yeah. Whereas yeah. when you're sitting at a table together and you say, okay, this thing happened and is important and you are directly interacting with me as I say that, mm-hmm. I think, th- and like having input on it, I think that we have a much more shared experience there too. Yeah, yep. yeah I agree. Yeah, with the that. process of collaboration really kind of cements that camaraderie together mm-hmm. yeah. and the buy-in of we're doing this together so let's have fun together um and y- you probably end up with less you know of people trying to control certain things like this is the way i f- felt it should be um from what i read you know mm. yeah well that's not what that's not how i read it that's not what it said yeah exactly <laughs> just also just don't play with those kind of people that's a whole other thing <laughs> yeah i think it just it, it is a much more like is a stronger experience for me personally mm-hmm. it's just like i'm way more attached to yeah. it and to the other people around me mm-hmm well, very cool. It's good. It's real good. It's real good. It's just it's like, good. basically, it's real good. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, is there anything else that we want to say before we wrap up for the day? You're an artist. Everybody is. Like, that's what it means to be human, is to create and to make art. And so you have that in you. And so don't be afraid to do it. Just let it out. Just let it out. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would like to circle back to um, don't limit yourself to not speaking up when something is heading in a direction you don't like. Or if something is heading in a direction you do like, speak mm-hmm. up. Let your fellow players know. Let your GM know. You know, make it known. Um, you know, yes, I want my character to have a romance subplot. Yes, I want to see what happens if we all get transported to this other place at random. No, I would like to not see any more of that body horror. Thank you. Um, you know, but like like we were saying before, that it doesn't take away the mystery of the game. Um, the game is not a present that you get to watch the DM unwrap for mm-hmm. you. The DM wants you to unwrap it with them. <laughs> this is the whole theory right? behind these series of episodes. Is just like you don't show up and have a game happen to you. Like, right. there's a you whole are right. the game. you are part of game. it. Yeah, and uh, the sooner you realize and embrace that, the more fun you will have at the table, and the less bad things will come up randomly and make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, we don't play games to feel bad. We play games to create fun things, have fun, laugh, enjoy each other, come up with things, feel emotional catharsis, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Um, same reason why we go to the theater, go to a movie, yep. you know? Oh, this is this is the theater. This is this, this is, this the, is theater. the theater of the modern age. Like. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, embrace that you are a part of that process, that you have that creative agency, make your opinions known, and listen to others when they make theirs known. And make that a good experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for sitting down with us. We really do appreciate it. Drew, can you go ahead and remind everyone where they can find you online and your current projects? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at worlds to forge 
Um, you can also find me on uh, where else? Where else can you find me? Places, things. <laughs> Shout Orlando. really loud. Um, Shout right, Drew. Drew, Dro, where are you? Hey, uh, you can find me there on Twitter. I'm usually on Twitter. You know, he's uh, always on. Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at what is our our Warda thingamajig? It's which one? Simplecast. You can watch the show, listeners listen and watch the show. Yeah, it's on the One Shot Podcast mm-hmm. Network, so OneShotPodcast.com. Um, it's also at Warda.SimpleCast.FM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our Patreon is what? Boy, uh, Patreon.com slash Whimsy Artifice. That's us. Both of Very us. Very cool. And, and that's I, where you can find me. In- I guess I'll say mine. I was going to say, Ali, tell us about you and your project. <laughs> Two for the price of one, like we said. Um, Patreon.com slash Whimsy Artifice. Uh, welcome to Warda.com, although the website is still kind of under construction. That's a whole other can of worms. Um, we know that Warda.simplecast. Yeah. Warda.simplecast.fm um, or on your favorite podcatching app. I am on Twitter at Dreams to Become. I am on Instagram at Dreams to Become. I have a website, dreams to become.com. <laughs> My SEO game is strong. Mm-hmm. Um, come find me. Come talk to me about stuff. I like stuff. I like talking about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, my website does have some pages where you can look up my, my work with dialects and, and voice stuff, um, as well as performing, acting, and my author stuff. So you can check out my, uh, my, my, my fictional work if you should so desire. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's dreamstobecome.com. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Ellie and Drew, again for joining us. And everybody, join us next week for another exciting episode. Character Evolution Cast, like Character Creation Cast, is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network and can be found online at www.charactercreationcast.com. Head to the website to get more information on our hosts and guests, or even find some of our character sheets. Character Creation Cast can be found on Twitter, at CreationCast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter, at GingerReckoning. Our other host, Ryan Bolter, can be found on Twitter, at LordNeptune. Music for this episode is used with a Creative Commons license, or with permission from the podcast it originated from. Further information can be found within the show notes. This episode was edited by Amelia Antrim. Further information for today's guest can also be found in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And remember, we find that the best part of any role-playing game is character creation. So go out there and create some amazing people. We'll see you next time. We gotta read some show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Character Creation Cast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, visit oneshotpodcast.com where you will find other great shows like Warda. Warda is an original fantasy actual play podcast created by Allie Grauer and Drew Marzieski. It's one part Game of Thrones. Two parts Downton Abbey, served on the rocks with a twist of Agatha Christie. Discover magic, mystery, and more than a little socio-political commentary along the way. The city holds thousands of stories. What will yours be?